Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFI Writings Pete on Twitter. We have a special guest on this episode. Welcome to the podcast from ABC Grandstand, Aaron Bryans. G'day, Aaron. Hey, Pete. Thanks for having me on. Very much my pleasure. Firstly, what or who influenced you the most that set you on your current media career path? Yeah, it was a tough one. Um, growing up, I, I used to always kind of, but I was an only child, so I used to always, you know, kick the ball out the back with myself. And you know, you're commentating these these fake plays that you, you want to come to life, and you love AFL. But but I always felt growing up that um, sports broadcasting as a whole was this elite group, and it was always going to be really hard to to break into that if you weren't, you know, previously a footballer or had experience in the actual league itself. But um, thankfully, I met the right people along the way through university and. And found my way into sports media, and, and broadcasting ultimately came through from that. But but I started out as a producer, and then worked my way into a calling role. And um, last year, I guess, was my first season after moving to Adelaide as a full time caller doing AFL and, and basketball. And um, it's been a thrill, absolute thrill. But I guess in in terms of influences, um, firstly, Quinn Wilden, who who runs the um, ABC Perth department, he's the guy who recruited me and, and really showed me the ropes on on how to to be a broadcaster. Nice. Um, and then the, the guy who was always my idol when I was growing up was, was Jared Waitley, just watching 360 oh, yes. every night. And um, I guess the fact that he's an all-round media professional was, was always something that I idolised. The fact that he could do TV and radio started out in print as well. And yeah. um, thankfully, when I when I joined the ABC, I had the chance to meet Jared because he was working with us at the time. And yep. um, a, another great guy with his, his really helpful with advice. Um, so I've really enjoyed, you know, learning or taking a little bit from everyone. I think everyone has different styles. You know, Dennis Cometti was always really good, I guess, with, with his really quick puns and his jokes. And, and Clint was always really good at hitting the right um, moments and, and getting, I guess, loud enough and excited enough at the big key moments. And, and Jared was always very punchy with his commentary. So uh, I try to encapsulate a little bit of everyone and, and you try to make your own style as well so you're a bit different. Yeah. I'll just follow on for that. What's the best piece of advice you were given from maybe any of that group? Yeah, I think it was to be more more punchy with your calling is the main thing. Short and sharp is always great when it comes to commentary. And, and I found, especially early on, when you're excited just doing the job that you are and you're, you're thrilled to be out of the football, that you almost over-commentate sometimes, especially in radio where we need to be descriptive because mm-hmm. people can't see what we're calling. But at the same time, if you're constantly talking and talking and talking you run out of breath you don't really have that inflection in your voice to to build up to the high point over the last i've been trying to focus on being a bit short and sharper with my calling and you can essentially say you know rosie kicks the ball um so you've still got your location what's happened but you, you don't need to overdo it it's just really sharp with four or five words so yep. yeah that's the best advice i think i received what is the best part about working in sports media? Oh, look, um, I, I can't really complain much at all about working in sports media. At the end of the day, it's a job that I'm being paid for. Or I get to watch sports. So realistically, I, yeah. I really love the role that I'm in. It was a dream of mine to always do this. But um, I think the best part about being in sports and, and maybe why I love sport as a whole is the legacy aspect of it that my role, in my role, I have a chance to be a part of history where I, I could call a moment um, at any stage in any game, in any league, um, where it could be something that we could reflect on in 50 years' time. Yeah. And, and that's the really exciting part about it is you never really know. But, you know, you look back at last year, which was 
one of the most difficult years as a caller when you've got, at least you've got Port Adelaide doing well, but the Crows, you know, struggled in the opening parts of the season, having their winless streak. It, it was really hard. But then the moment they finally won, it was it was an amazing day. It's amazing when you say that historically um, your voice could go to air for years and years and generations to come because obviously when you listen to ABC and some of the great moments in Olympic sport, I guess, I mean, you hear the same call over and over and we're talking, you know, Dawn Fraser back in the day and, and other events like that that just kept getting played over. So there's definitely a great opportunity. Yeah, it's incredible. I wish the ABC was still involved with the Olympics because you're right there. A lot of those famous calls, you know, you think about Bruce McAvaney, yeah. um, Basil Zemplis as well. Sometimes when he's with his swimming, you know, you never forget those famous calls. And um, and that's a really exciting aspect, you know, when I eventually have kids or whatever, um, you can look back and say you were there for this moment and you actually broadcasted this yeah. moment. And hopefully you did it well in the time as well. <laughs> yeah. Last season was certainly different in the AFL. What were the biggest takeaways from a broadcast perspective that you will always remember about 2020? Yeah, it was a weird year. Um, my first game at AFL level was Adelaide and the Swans round one, but we still didn't know yeah. what was going on with round two, and, and eventually it was postponed and delayed for months. But And we had to do it at the Adelaide Oval with no crowd. So yeah. for me, it actually worked out quite well coming from calling it State League and the WAFL to the AFL with no crowds because it was a very similar atmosphere so it actually didn't catch me off guard too much but yeah. it was weird that we had such a long period of time where crowds did build up but they were in such low numbers we could hear what was happening out on the field we had games here in Adelaide that didn't feature the Crows or the power at times I remember calling um, you know Hawthorne the Western Bulldogs Gold Coast here yeah. where it wasn't a South Australian involved and the crowd numbers were very very low yep kind of build atmosphere because we just did not do what TV was doing where we didn't pump in fake crowds and um, I think that was good that we gave listeners variety where if you listen to the TV you did get that fake crowd noise which ultimately I think worked out alright by the end of the season um, but we were that alternative where you could come on the radio and actually hear the real acoustics of what was going on in yeah. these empty venues it, it was really weird I'm one of those guys that, that tunes the radio into the TV on, and so I delay one and two to get the, the same matchup of where you are at during a call. And it was amazing, the sound through of actual crowds back at the footy. Yeah, I remember the, the first showdown we had here, which ended up being round two. And, and that was, I think, um, you know, under 10,000 fans in. And it still felt really loud because yeah, everyone yeah. was just so excited to be there. And, and that's the part that I'm looking forward to the most with, with this year is the showdown's a little later in the season, or at least in the middle of the season. And the hope is that we get a full crowd by then in Adelaide, and, and that's something that I've been waiting for. I've been in South Australia a year now and, and haven't actually called a full stadium yet. So yeah. um, it's a slow build to what will be a really exciting moment when we get there. Okay, on to a bit of fantasy. What is your favourite game mode in AFL Fantasy, Draft Keeper or Classic? So in terms of fantasy, I was always a big Classic guy. We've been running our Classic League for about 10 years now, and unfortunately, whilst I have won one flag, I think I've lost about four grand finals in mm, the time. Um, but I do love I love the keeper mode, and that's something that we used to run um, separate of AFL Fantasy because you couldn't do it beforehand. Yep. So we actually had our own keeper league that involved um, a team of three forwards, three mids, a tackler, and a ruck. Yep. Um, and I loved loved doing that kind of style of fantasy, and I, I'm so excited that AFL Fantasy itself has brought in the keeper league mode this year because draft was something amongst my friends that they always 
struggled to stay on top of. It was something that I loved doing, but um, I think it was difficult amongst us to trade and it was difficult for everyone with the waiver wires and, and people kind of gave up in the halfway point of the year. But keeper leagues, you get so invested in that because yeah. these are players that you are keeping literally for long term and yeah. um, there's a lot more strategy involved where you can arguably go to your first keeper league draft and say, hey, I'm just going to tank this year and I'm going to pick yes. up all the young guys and yeah. make sure that in four years' time I'm going to be the best team for a long time. So yeah, it's right. it's a really exciting mode. Are you moving your, your crew onto the AFL fantasy platform this year? We aren't just because the scoring is a bit different. So our tacklers okay. are literally, you know, four points per tackle. Our ruckmen are hit outs and marks. So it's it's a little bit different. Yeah. Um and I think we, we like the old school spreadsheet, which is yeah. now moved to the Google spreadsheet. But um yeah, it's still a bit more traditional where we kind of put our own scores in and yeah, there's that exciting factor of it where we kind of run the league, but we're going to have our own AFL fantasy keeper that'll be separate of that original one. So Interesting. yeah, plenty of modes. And your draft order is uh, finishing last is drafting first. Yes. Snake snake is definitely the way that we'll go for for certain. And um, yeah, I'm not sure where I'd like to be in terms of, I guess it depends on how many teams you have in your league because if you, you do pick, get pick one and you have a bigger league, it, it could actually cost you long term. Yeah. Do you have a bias when selecting players in fantasy or keep an open mind for all? So I, I never bias when it came to selecting players uh, in AFL fantasy. Generally, um, I had an ever again list, which included some familiar names like Patrick Cripps and Angus Brayshaw, but I um, I was always really, I guess I revolved around what the statistics and based on who was was the money that I had, but um, it's funny, now, now that I'm in South Australia and I'm actually calling the Crows and the Power and you get to be involved in those clubs a little bit more in depth and you know the players, you know the game plan and, and what they're hoping to achieve long term, yep. I, I do find myself picking some more of those guys up a little bit more. So my eye does go to someone like Connor Rosie this year and mm. um, you know, you struggle to try and fit them into your team when you know maybe beforehand you wouldn't have put them in because you just... You, you get excited about what this club has planned for this player and you hope that that translates to actually some good stats, but you never really know when it comes to fantasy sometimes. Okay, on to your location. You've recently moved to Adelaide. How do you compare the two-team town of Perth to Adelaide? Yeah, very similar in terms of how the states run their football. So you've got you know West Coast and WA is the powerhouse of that state. Adelaide here is, is the powerhouse. But that being said, I think Port probably have a bigger presence in South Australia than Fremantle might have done in WA under Ross Lyon. I think with Justin Lomuir there, they're, they're starting to get out a little bit more. But previously with Ross, I think their Close media course, was yeah. a bit, bit more limited. Yeah, so um, Fremantle are starting to get a bit more awareness uh, after the years under Ross. But I think in Adelaide, um, it, it's still very parochial here, similar to WA. I, I found, um, being a Richmond supporter in WA, that um, okay. You know, West Coast was was very hard to to get involved with. The West Coast fans are so passionate about their team, and it's it's you're for us or you're against us. Fremantle sometimes <laughs> were a bit more friendly. Yeah. Um, in Adelaide, it's it's both. Both are just very passionate about their sides. Um, if you say anything negative about them, you, you've got to make sure you explain it properly, otherwise you're in a bit of trouble. Um, I found at times that um, you know listeners, if you're not talking about if you're talking about one team too much than the other, they'll text in to let you know that you're probably you're being a bit too biased towards one. Absolutely. They they love their sides in Adelaide, and um, that's what a two team town is all about. Realistically, um, in, in Melbourne where it's a bit more separated, you know, the, the clubs are desperate for media, and they'll happily give you players left, right, and centre. I think 
uh, in two-team towns where everyone is invested in a limited number of clubs and they get the coverage that they want without having to try too hard. Yeah. Uh, everyone just wants to know what's going on with those and, and the journalists and the broadcasters who know what's going on inside the four wall, that little bit of an date, I guess. Okay, onto a little bit of footy, onto Adelaide. It would have been difficult for first-year coach Matthew Nix to implement a new game plan with restricted training last year. Do you expect more cohesion in 2021? Yeah, 100%. I think um, from conversations we've had with Matthew Nix and, and even Adam Kelly, um, they were basically just caught out at the start of last year. Oh. Yeah, the start of last year where Matthew Nix comes in as a new coach. You've got a playing group that probably wasn't going to play finals regardless because they were just coming off a high of the last couple of years where they'd, they'd made the grand final and they were still competitive around 18, 19. Um, they were rebuilding and all they could do in that time frame because of the limited training um, was essentially theory. They, they had eight guys coming in, they'd do their training session, they'd leave and another eight would come in. There was no cohesion as you touched on. Um, and then we found around the middle of the year, it was round 15 when they finally defeated Hawthorne and had their first win. Yep. That was around the time where full training had recommenced. So um, they started to actually apply that theory on field, whereas the, the first half of the season, they just had no idea what they were doing. They knew the game plan, but they just couldn't implement it. So the hope is now that they've had a full pre-season, they can actually put everything together, the game plan that Nick's originally had had. Um, and they can start, you know, winning some more games. Uh, the other thing as well, I guess, with, with Adelaide is they completely changed their assistant coaching ranks. And I'm, I'm a big fan of assistant coaches. I feel like premiership teams aren't just built on a head coach. You, yeah. you need to have guys beneath them. And we saw that with Richmond, um, you know, the past few years that they've just had a really solid lineup of assistant coaches. And, um, for Matthew Nix, he's grabbed guys from all different clubs this offseason. You've got Van Berle from West Coast, Burns from Hawthorne. Um, it's going to be a ton of experience coming in, and the hope is that that makes them a bit more competitive. I still don't see Adelaide as a finals-bound team, but yep. I think that the potential is there for them to improve dramatically. Just on back on to the later in the year last year, I've mentioned it on the Plus Six podcast previously, is it was, and the numbers uh, definitely reflect this, it wasn't until later in the season in 2020 that the disposable numbers started to increase and started to be, become a lot more consistent. So from a, an Adelaide perspective, um, I expect them to be quite a high disposable type team. Um, coming uh, Matthew Nix coming from the Giants where they were also a high disposable team, I would expect a similar type game style of holding onto the ball where possible and those high disposable numbers to come. So yeah, just back onto it. Uh, last year, the numbers late in the season did start to spike. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Matthew Nix's time at the Giants because um, I guess the, the way that we perceive Adelaide here in South Australia is their game plan is very similar to the Giants and Geelong. There's only like minor changes amongst them, but that being said, Adelaide is, you know, has a similar game plan. It's just how they implement it, and they need time as a group to come together and, and do that well. But um, you're right, the back end of the season after the first half where they were ranked 18th in the majority of categories, they actually boosted themselves to top 10 in most. So. Yeah. They're going to have more possessions. They're going to be faster with the ball. Hopefully their inside 50 entries are a little better because they really struggle with that. But yep. um, the talent is there for sure. Jackson Haightley will be a popular fantasy target at round one. How interested are you? So I'm a bit hesitant on, on Jackson Haightley. I think his time at the Giants showed uh, as a big body midfielder, he wasn't getting the opportunities he should have. And he's got a ton of talent, reads the play really well. A tender centre bounce last year was limiting his opportunities. 
Um, as a result, he's sitting with a really good break even right now in terms of AFL fantasy. Mm. He's at 64, and um, realistically, you'd think if he was playing full-time mid-minutes, he'd comfortably pass that. Yeah. But my issue is the rumblings from the club about he probably isn't a starting midfielder right now. He, he hasn't done enough in the preseason to surpass the likes of a Ben, a Ben Keys or a Harry Schonberg. I still think he makes the 22 and, and comes off the bench, yep. but I'm not sure. If, and, and coming off the bench means he'll play in the mid anyway, but I'm not sure if he's a starter in the middle round one. And and that's also, you've got Rory Laird coming in as well, which I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on later. But um, I just think Jackson's role probably doesn't mean he's going to be pushing, you know, 90, 100. Yep. But there's no reason why he couldn't make 70, 80. And at a break even of 64, he's still going to make money. Yep. I'm just not sure if where there's a lot of mid-options or at least lower-priced mid-options this year. Um, I'm not sure where he fits into my team right now, but I, I completely understand why so many people would put him in. Yeah, I had him in initially, uh, had him out. Now he's back in for me. Uh, and my reasoning is is that when you look at this centre-bounce group, it's going to be Matt Crouch, Rory Sloan, and you're going to have Rory Laird there, who did put up enormous numbers last year. So Haitley's got to come in there somewhere. I don't think he hits the top two, and I think Laird's in before him. So he's probably going to come in at number four, and therefore you start to project how, how much upside there is in his price to start with at round one. Yeah, it's tough because, as I touched on, Ben Keyes is involved there as well. I really like who didn't have great numbers last year, but he's a big-bodied guy who yep. gets around and is a heavy tackler. So, you know, Haley could end up being sixth or seventh in line. But yep. that being said, if he does turn it on and shows the potential that he was supposed to have at the Giants, there's no reason why he can't be number four and straight in off the bench. Rory Laird is set to remain part of that midfield group, as we just discussed again this year. What other chances we see plenty of those high-ceiling games again? Yeah, very high. Um, confirmation, I guess, from inside the Adelaide club walls is that Rory Laird will be starting in the midfield round one. So he's definitely a permanent mid now and may at times go back to that half-back role. But the Crows actually have a ton of young players available in the back line and they don't really need Rory there anymore. And there's pros and cons of that. I think, as you touched on, those high-ceiling games only really come from the times he's played as a pure midfielder. Yeah. Um, sometimes as a defender, he has a lower amount of disposals but gets more marks and more kicks. Yeah. Um, I think as a pure midfielder, he pushes that 30 disposal rate a lot more often. Yes. And whilst he loses those marks, I think it justifies it by getting those extra five disposals and some extra tackles as well. So um, I didn't have Rory in my side a few months ago, um, and now I've definitely got him in as my D1 because uh, now that I know... He's going to be starting in the middle round one as long yeah. as nothing goes wrong in terms of injury. Um, even with a break even of 100, I still feel like he's going to be pushing you know, 27, 28 touches every week. And, and that's easily enough to make sure he doesn't lose a lot of money and can stay there for the year. So, yeah, he's, he's my lock at D1 right now. There is upside on his price at 100, as you mentioned there. And for me, Wayne Malero comes back into that team and he probably sits on that wing half-back role. So that's, again, another encouraging sign, as much as what you just said, that Rory Laird does start in the middle. Yeah, Miller is another one um, who, throughout the preseason, was mentioned, or I guess touted to maybe have more of a midfield role. And, and suddenly you have all these names building up in the midfield and not everyone's going to get a go. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling, personally, that, that Wayne will end up being a half-backer and, and maybe at occasion slip into the midfield, but just not as heavily as we might have hoped. That being said, even is still quite low. Um, I've got him in my side 
I think is my my D three. So he's a break even of fifty nine. There's no reason why he can't comfortably make that off the half back line. And um, they had a scratch match yesterday at um, West Lakes, and he looked great. He he rolled his ankle early on, but um, he's still got a lot of fitness. Can kick it really smoothly. Um, the ankle injury was nothing major, so. Um, I, I expect Wayne Miller to be on a lot of people's fantasy list and, and no reason why he shouldn't be considering his break even is that low. Do you think Rollie O'Brien can join the elite group at the ruck position? Yeah, interesting question. There's obviously, um, you know, those big three that are there in the elite position at the moment where we look at, you know, Grundy, Gorn, Goldstein in terms of fantasy. And if you talk about, you know, football in itself, Grundy, Gorn, Natanui. Um, I think O'Brien is around that mark. He's certainly elite in a lot of categories in terms of his stats. Um, and the best thing about Riley is he's a great intercept marker. He sometimes comes across yep. the half-back line and, and really reads the turnover quite well. His biggest issue has always been clearances, and, and that's really what makes him an elite fantasy ruckman and an elite ruckman these days with Gorn and Grundy is they're almost a midfielder whilst a ruckman, and they can actually earn their own clearances Riley can't do that just yet. So he wins a lot of hitouts, probably gets, you know, 25 to 30 a game. On top of that, he's, he's really good with his marking, but he's still not there at the point right now where he's actually winning enough disposals consistently. He has some games where he pushes the 20 mark, but others where he's at the eight. Yeah. So consistency is probably the next step for Riley, but he's only 25 and, um, you know, the upside is there for sure. And, and if Bill Thorpe can get involved in this lineup and provide him a bit of a chop out, I think that'll help him tremendously. Absolutely. On to a little bit of Port Adelaide talk. Expectations are now high at Port Adelaide. Do you think that narrow prelim final loss will provide motivation this year? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think even early last year before the season started on um, on our show, SA Grandstand, we touted on the fact that you know Port on paper looked like a team that could contend and we were kind of laughed at at that point because it was like surely yeah. you know Port Adelaide aren't ready for this but if you look at their list they've got a lot of senior guys at each um, line so you've got Travis Boak in the middle you know Charlie Dixon forward Tom Jonas back and on top of that if you look at salary caps and premiership teams most premiership teams have to have some sort of younger group that are overperforming their value so mm-hmm. the, the salary cap works but you've got guys that are playing above what they're getting paid. And Port Adelaide had that. They'd had Rosie, they had Butters, they had Dersma, guys who were getting paid little amounts but were actually performing like senior players. And um, I guess the only concern about Port was the fact that they just hadn't been there in such a long time that when they did get to finals, there were concerns if they could make it all the way because they just had that inexperience factor. And to get as close as they did in a prelim and essentially lose by a kick where against the team that's been the best team of the past few years, Richmond, and who just find ways in, in last quarters. Yeah. Um, I think whilst it would be disappointing for them, they would have been satisfied with that year for sure. And now that they have that experience and they come back to this year where we're back to normal minutes, you know, travel is going to be a lot better. They don't have those 4 a.m. wake-ups where they fly to Queensland and play the early game and fly back. Yeah. I think that they'll definitely be a real contender for sure. And, and they're still in that upper echelon group with Richmond, Geelong, um, and maybe even St Kilda this year, depending on how they go. But but Port, I think, will have huge motivation and belief that they can win the Premiership this year. What do you think we can expect out of Jackson Mead, Miles Bergman, Dylan Williams, and Lockie Jones this year? Yeah, it's funny. They're, they're an incredibly talented bunch, and, and it's almost the worst part about Port Adelaide right now is because they're doing so well, these young guys, their early-round draft picks over the past few years, aren't actually getting any games. So yeah. Jackson Mead and Dylan Williams, I think, would be start-up midfielders in any team right now if, 
you know, you didn't have the 22 available that Port did. They just got so much talent. In terms of their depth, you're looking at the fact that Tom Cleary may even miss out because of Leah Relias coming in. Yeah. Razia Fantasia up forward may push someone out of this team as well. And Port are just battling for spots. And it's really hard because, yeah, Jackson Mead, Dylan Williams, I think, would be great players. And I'm sure they will get some games throughout 2021. But in, in terms of a fantasy aspect... They're probably not going to be around for a while. They're similar to that Boyd Woodcock kind of role where they'll they'll come in maybe for three or four games because of an injury, or would be unlikely they'll hold their spot in that twenty-two. Miles Bergman's more of a half-back um, role player, and I don't see the backline changing much at all this year. So it's going to be really tough for him to get games. And Lockie Jones, I think at the draft on draft day, and after seeing him on Sample Grand Final, I think he was a walk-up starter for round one, but the acquisition of Aaliyah Aaliyah in the free agency period changed all of that. And I think Lockie may miss out now. And again, when he comes in, we'll get a good run. But the best 22 is so tough to crack in at Port Adelaide right now that I just, I wouldn't advise investing in any of the Port rookies because um, when they do play, it's not going to be long enough to justify their cash increase. It's just like they go to Dersmet, they go to Rosie, they go to Butters. Now they've got this underlying group still yet to push through. So exciting times for Port Adelaide ahead. And one of those players, Connor Rosie, is expected to see an increase in midfield usage this season with the arrival of Orazio Fantasia playing on a half-forward flank. How good do you think Rosie could be in 2021? Yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting for Connor Rosie. I think in terms of how good he can be in his career, he's going to be an absolute star. 2021 is still a bit of a question. So he's definitely going to see some more midfield minutes, which definitely helps his fantasy price. Um, and then you look back at his scores from last year as well, where he had that foot injury mm. up of the year. I think he, he's going to improve. For sure. The issue is still, as we touched on, the best 22 is really hard back into and there's a lot of guys pushing for midfield minutes so if you've got both wines and Rockliffe starting there Sam Pepper's around Zach Butters needs some time Darcy Byrne Jones comes in often um, there's a lot of guys that will be battling for minutes and and they are very keen to get minutes into Rosie I know that for sure but it, it, as keen as you can be if you're trying to win a premiership you put your best players in there and the best players are both wines and Rockliffe right now so I'm not sure how big of an improvement we'll see from Connor Rosie, but I think he's he's priced at around you know mid 60s in terms of his break even. There's no reason why he can't be an 80s player again with the increase of minutes this year after the COVID season we had. I can see Connor Rosie being an 80 plus player. He's a, a high tackler. He gets disposals and the rough games that he had, he was under 10. But I think that that won't happen as often this year. So he's an exciting one. Um, on top of that, you know Zach Butters and Xavier Dersma. I think Butters, I wouldn't advise jumping on just yet at 78. I think he'll have some really good games this year, but probably won't be consistent enough to, to justify the price you're paying. Whereas Dersmer at 71, I think um, he's a real guy that to be looking at in the midfield where he's still probably going to play more as a wing forward. But at 71, with increased minutes, again, he's a player who could be 80-plus. Mm. Are you keen on any Port Adelaide premium midfielders in fantasy to start the year, such as Boke, Wines or Rockcliffe? So at this stage, I'm not. Um, it's tough to call. They're all, all three of them can be really good fantasy players. Boke has two years left before he retires. Um, and I think the hardest part about Boke right now is if they do start investing in Butters and Rosie, he may head back to the forward line and even actually you know, mentioned that he would consider playing as a backman if he needed to, just to get him out of the midfield. So 
whilst he you know can have amazing scores and is consistent as a midfielder as we saw last year that uncertainty concerns me a little bit so I haven't got him in my side uh Rockliffe's break even is at 115 and, and whilst we know he's an absolute monster um I still can't justify that I think yeah. this year is, is there's so many mid prices available that I just couldn't go for Tom I end up picking Tom Mitchell as my my first midfielder yeah. um and Ollie Wines um had a really good year back in 2016 uh, I guess in that year, what made him so good was his tackling, um, his high disposal amount, which is, was a bit more consistent. But the consistent injuries over the past few years with his shoulder and his legs, he's been stuck around the 90 mark. And I still think he's going to be, you know, a 25-plus disposal, five-tackle kind of guy. But yeah. where he's priced at at the moment, which I think is high 90s, um, it's just not worth that investment. I think there's, again, better players around that mark. And it's hard because, as we touched on earlier, I do like picking the local boys because I can see them and I can call them when it happens and I, I know my fantasy team is one because I know I've just seen Blake have 30 touches but um, I just can't justify picking those three right now. What are your expectations for your fantasy classic team this year? What 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 can we say is a pass mark for your ranking? Oh, I've got to go back and check my old rankings. I've, I've generally been pretty good over the past few years. Um, you know, my high points have always been you know, the seven, 8,000 mark, and then as low points pushing towards the 30,000. I've never made the top 100, unfortunately, but um, that's largely on my own fault. I, I tend every year to make a dumb trade after round one. I'll swap out a player really hastily who, who's had a bad debut, and then they've ended up being a great player. Um, I think a couple of years ago, I did five for green one year, and it was just the most silly trade I could have done. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to try my best to avoid that, and hopefully that helps my rank this year and makes my pass mark a bit better. But um, I'm gambling this year. I think after seeing last year where some players had invested in the likes of, or even the year prior with Dom Sheed, um, I never used to take punts on guys like that. I was always very cautious, and I used to go guns and rookies. Um, this year, I'm going to try and actually go for it all because I feel like to be a winner in AFL fantasy to, to do what Maura's magic has done over the past few years you've, you've really got to take those gambles and those yep. investments um, so this year I've, I've gone a little bit mid-priced um, in terms of what I'm aiming for so I've got guys like Cunnington in my team uh, Braden Proust at R2 my forward line has weirdly a lot of key forwards which we generally don't like in fantasy but I think their prices justify it this year the guys like Danaher and Cameron even Jaden Stevenson, who's, who's tipped to be more of a pure mid, yeah. I've got all of them in my team right now. So it, it might change after the preseason games, but uh, I'm risking it for the biscuit this year. Oh, very good. It's really interesting with with the AFL Fantasy Classic game. There's so much overlap. You have to be very strategic in which positions and which plays you really take on. So for me, I'm really big on ownership, and if you can find any if you can put any holes in a particular player that has high ownership especially prior to round one I think you just got to take on the field at that stage so I think they're the ones that for at least for me that you can generally target that you might be able to find a good edge yeah it's it's hard getting I guess pod players that you know you want good performing players that not everyone has so they can actually win you games and it's, it's so rare to find players like that because you know good fantasy players everyone wants them but there, there are some floating around, especially in the premium aspect this year. Um, I've actually got Andrew Gaff in my side, is why I think I think a lot of people will will look for Tom Mitchell, and I've managed to sneak both in. But Gaff, I feel like, was already a star on limited minutes last year, 
was consistently around that 110 mark. And I think now that we're back to full minutes with West Coast, you know, being a high-possession team, I've got him in the side. Yep. Um, and maybe even taking a punt on some of those Bulldogs guys. I know people will be hesitant with yeah. Bontempelli, Dunkley and Trelaw. That it's going to be so stacked, McRae as well. But, um, you know, Trelaw has consistently been a good player. And I think, um, you know, we thought that with Geelong and even West Coast when they brought Tim Kelly that, oh, there's, there's too many midfielders here. My guy's not going to get enough of the ball, so I shouldn't pick him. But we actually found with those teams that because they had better players there, they passed the ball more often and they had possession of the ball more often. Um, I feel like the Western Bulldogs are going to be like that where they've got so many guys that they will control the ball, um, which means more marks, which means more possessions. So even though you've got guys sharing it, um, I still think Trelaw's going to have 25-plus touches every game. So um, you could get a sneaky you know, Bulldogs player that not everyone is jumping on, and, and they could be the real pod this year. Yeah, for me, for the Bulldogs, I haven't totally ruled them out. It's just really difficult where to who to target. So if I was going down a Bulldogs track, I actually wouldn't just pick one. I would pick two. So if you hit on both with low ownership, and as you say, if they're controlling the ball quite a bit, which I actually think that they will and they will be a high disposal team. If you can hit on both the number one and number two disposal players in that Bulldogs team, well then you, and all of a sudden with low ownership, you've potentially got a very big edge on the field. And there's pros and cons to that as well, I guess, where, you know, one, we have that flexibility of two trades where you don't need to change too much to your team. So if you pick two Bulldogs guys, one of them looks like the clear standout and the other isn't, just swap him out. But... Um, the other, I guess, disastrous problem that comes with the Western Bulldogs is Luke Beveridge. He can never decide on where mm. to play his players. And we may see on round one that Josh Dunkley starts in the middle with Adam Trelaw and Beveridge decides after four weeks that, no, Dunkley's going to be a half-forward flanker now. And yep. and that's the, the always the disaster that comes with Bulldogs players, which is why I think when you, you pick a Trelaw and a McRae, um, they're a bit more safe and consistent. I think McRae had a couple of forward games, but... But they're always generally in the midfield. You can't move them forward that much because they're not that great up forward. So yep. hopefully, you know, those guys are the right call this year. And we'll wait to see where Bonson Pelly ends up. I have no idea where he's going to play. Yeah, that's right. And you just hit on a very good point there. The two, two players I would target if I was going two Bulldogs players would be McRae and Trelaw because, you know, they can play inside or outside on a wing. And you've got Lockie Hunter out there as well, who pretty much would play the wing role as well. So he don't discount him as an option as well. Well, Aaron, thanks for coming on as a guest. Can you let the listeners know where to find you? Thanks for having me, Pete. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Aaron Bryan's um I'm on ABC Sport calling all of the Adelaide games and Port Adelaide games, so some of them might not be national, but if you're in my home state, South Australia, then um, feel free to tune in on ABC Sport to hear us. Um, we have the show, SA Grandstand, Saturdays from 11 and Sundays from 12 as well, which you can hear on the ABC Listen app if you're not based in South Australia, but um, it's a really exciting year. Port Adelaide obviously pushing, heading towards you know what could be a premiership and Adelaide on the rebuild. Um, there's a lot of storylines to look forward to in South Australia. For sure. For those that would like a Plastics podcast cap, just retweet any podcast link that is sent out via Twitter. Again, Aaron, thank you again. And that's it for episode 60. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.